What If series. And for those that are maybe not familiar with this, let me share the premise. I think that Jesus has an idea of what the church is supposed to look like. And I believe the Bible is very clear about Jesus' heart for the church. So this is something we do at the beginning of every year. And the question for us is, what if we saw that? What if we understood what Jesus had in mind for the church? And then question number two is, how are we doing? If we honestly evaluate how Covenant Life Assembly is lining up with Jesus' church, how are we doing? Now, before I jump into this, let me give you a disclaimer. I love the church, and I, I specifically love this church, and also I love this conversation. I love the evaluation process. I'm not afraid of tough questions. I love dreaming about what we're supposed to be. But when I come to this time of year, when we cast vision for the new year, I'm always filled with hope and excitement, kind of a sense of adventure. This year, though, is different. I confess to you that I'm a little less hopeful than I've been in years past. Now, here's the disclaimer. It might be me. Maybe I've seen too much. Or maybe I've just finally arrived at that place in life where I'm the old curmudgeon, get off my lawn guy. I'm not sure, maybe. But I think I feel differently this year for a couple of reasons. Number one, the church has changed. The church is different. We, we have seen a trend for years in America of the church becoming marginalized. And still, every year we've prayed and we've strategized and we've planned for revival. And I've always come to this time of year, this series, with a sense of anticipation. Well, I'm afraid this year we're talking more about survival than we are about revival. And the second thing I see is that the marginalization of the church may very well be part of God's plan. Now, let me tell you what I mean. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at surveys and research and statistics and stories, and frankly, they're bleak. But what if God is behind all that? What if God's up to something? Hold that thought. Here's disclaimer number two. I want you to know that I'm not interested in answering questions nobody's asking. I know that some of you are right now are sitting there saying, Randy, you're into all this church stuff. You're into reading about church growth and revival and all that. But how does that affect me and my life? This series will be four weeks. We will end on the 28th with a fifth Sunday fellowship where we'll have communion and a meal together. But this week, week number one, is about individuals in the church. This is about you. And the biblical truth is this. God needs you. Hear me clearly. God knew what the church was going to look like in 2023. And God designed in a place for you. And then the Bible tells us, Psalms 139, that when you were in your mother's womb... God was putting you together beautifully and wonderfully for this specific place in the church in 2023 just for you. It's the truth. Philippians chapter 1. Now, we're going to read from verse 27. And, and 
As is my custom, in case you don't know, there's some crazy things that go back on in, in that back corner during the week. But I print the text out in several translations and lay them side by side. And this week I'm going to read to you out of the message translation. Just because I love Peterson's language and I think it will help you grasp what we're trying to say today. So this is Philippians 127 in the message. If you have something else, just follow along. Meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, condemning people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for Him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through on which you're now getting an updated report in this letter. Life is different in 2023. Besides the rat race, which we've all kind of got sucked into in the last few years, just the busyness of life, COVID changed everything. And so we are living in a culture now that we never dreamed of. Our sense of well-being is shaken. Wages are not keeping up with inflation. Public schools are a mess. And in our country, emotional support has become a billion-dollar industry. If you walk into any bookstore, the biggest section by far is self-help. Support groups for everything are springing up everywhere. You can now hire a life coach, which I don't even know what that means, but you can hire a life coach for just about anything, and they're really big and kind of a the fitness and health field. Well, why is self-improvement so big? It's because we all feel like we're out of control. We all need some help to cope. And, and even if we're doing pretty good, we still would appreciate some help, some guidance, some advice on improving our daily lives. Now, I would argue on the basis of Scripture that our problems are way deeper than we realize. We're facing problems that we can't fix by reading something in a book. We're facing problems that can't be solved by a life coach. Our problem is addiction. We are addicted to ourselves. And let me, let me prove this for you. And I'm going to cite a bunch more about this next week. But, but self-addicted language is very common in our culture. For example, you're going to hear things like this. Don't be afraid to chase your dream. Do what fulfills you. Follow your heart. Don't let anybody else tell you how to feel. If it makes you happy, fill in the blank. And as bad as that is, here's a much bigger problem. In our culture, we measure success based on that criteria. How my heart feels how fulfilled I feel. It's called self-actualization. And so the result now in 2023, we're all wrapped up in self. 
comfort, convenience, experiences, adventure. And this addiction to self, it's also called narcissism, is not only accepted in our culture, it's celebrated. So question, when Jesus says to Christians, if you're going to be a follower of me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, what's he saying? Deny some? Love the earth this much and love Jesus this much? What's the balance? What's the ratio? What's it cost? How much do I have to deny me to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And then how do I reconcile my values, my faith? How do I still be the humble person that Jesus called me to be and be a success in this culture? All right, pause. Everybody press pause. Little, little parenthetical thing here. I'm going to, in this series over the next four weeks, I'm going to implement two action steps. Well, in my life, I hope you'll follow me. We're going to do two things as a fellowship. Number one, for the next four weeks, I'm going to give you a time at the end of every meeting to process. Now, we don't always do a traditional altar call or response time at the end of every service, but during this series, we're going to, and it's not going to look the same. It may be a time of prayer. It may be a Q&A, but I'm going to give us time to process the things we're talking about. So figure that in your schedule when you're making your lunch plans for the next couple of weeks. The second thing we're going to do is fast. Now, the Bible has a very definite prescription for dealing with addiction, and it's called fasting. This is where we separate. When I recognize that my affections are being turned to something other than Jesus, it's time for me to fast. The prophet Joel lived 700 years before Christ, and he was speaking to an apostate Israel again, they're rebellious, and he's convinced that they're facing the last days. Joel calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. I'm convinced we're facing the last days. So this is what Joel says to the priests of Israel in 1.14. Announce a time of fasting. We're, we're facing the end times. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. And then in chapter 2, this is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there's time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Good advice. So we're going to fast. But I think traditionally in church, when we talk about fasting, we always think about food. Why is fasting about food? Because as Christians, we don't sin. We don't do anything wrong. And this is the thing we're most addicted to, is food. So that's why we use fasting. Well, um, we have a new addiction in our lives. And I heard just one of them go off a second ago. Thank you for that, whoever put that in there. Our cell phones, right? Oh, Randy, I'm not addicted to my cell phone. Every Sunday morning, ironically, I get a notification. Now, I have an iPhone, and when I get a notification on my iPhone, there's a little ding. Anybody else? Okay. And this is the irony. On Sunday morning early, my phone dings, and it, it, it's a called a screen time notification. It tells me last week whether I spent more time per day or less time per day on my phone. Now, it's easy for me to get a little self-righteous here because I use my phone for talking pretty much and, and occasional texting, but I have a problem with my computer. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's do a little experiment. 
How many of you use your cell phones as an alarm clock? Let me see your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, now don't raise your hand on this next one. When you turn your alarm off, how many of you surf to another app right there, very first thing in the morning? The first thing you do in the morning is look at something on your phone. All right, question number two, raise your hand on this one. How many on Sunday mornings bring your device and look up scriptures while I'm preaching? And you look up the scriptures on your Bible, let me see your hand. Oh, a lot of people. All right, don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you never go to another app on Sunday morning while I'm preaching? You never check your text, you never look on Facebook. That's why I said don't raise your hand on that one. <laughs> Give me just a second here, listen to me. Many, many studies are saying that our digital devices are rewiring our brains. And in case you didn't know, based on testimony before Congress of the social media moguls, that's the point. You and I are merchandise. They've got us right where they want us. Here, I wrote down five signs that we're addicted to our phones. Number one, we check it often even if we don't get a notification. You know, the average American looks at their phones 96 times per day, once every 10 minutes. If you ever feel anxious when you don't have your cell phone, you might have an addiction problem. Number three, you check your phone while you're talking to others. Wait a minute. You mean I'm in face-to-face -face conversation with someone and I look away from this person that I love to look at my phone? 86% of people do. You can't not check the phone when you get a notification. And most teenagers, the vast majority of teenagers, even when they're driving, if their phone dings, they're going to look. Or number five, you lose track of time while you're on your phone. I had no idea I was there that long. Okay, so what I'm doing is I'm calling us to a digital fast. And I'm not going to define that for you. I want you to define that for you. The point is, if there's a potential for you being too in love with your phone, you need a fast. Here's what I'm going to do. I mentioned my phone's not such a problem. But when I come in in the morning, I usually check a couple of social check my email first thing, check a couple of social media sites. And then when I study, all my reference material now pretty much I use on my computer. But the problem is, I surf away from them. I'm a bit of a news junkie and try to find out what's going on and see what other people are saying and thinking. Well, during these four weeks, I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I get to the office early in the morning and I'm going to check the email for emergencies and then I'm logging off of everything. And until after lunch, I'm not going to know what's going on at all because I want to refocus my attention and my affection on Jesus. I'm going to get my old leather study Bible out and break it back in again. And I want you to find a way. Listen, I know this is a big ask, but would you at least pray about joining me on this digital fast? All right, unpause, back to the sermon. We're talking about 2023 providing a whole new set of problems. Our entire society and most Christians are caught up in something we call the culture wars. Now, it's been fascinating for me to see what's happened since Elon Musk bought Twitter. I'm shocked by the outrage, and apparently David tells me there's lots of money involved too. I don't know about all that. But here's some facts we need to face as the church. Our government is a dumpster fire. Did you notice? 
Our public education system is a mess and might be beyond redemption. Confidence in social institutions is crumbling. Now, why is the government and schools and public institutions in a mess? Because they're run by fallible people. People are people. Okay, so Randy, so the world is falling apart and we're, we're all emotional wrecks. What are we supposed to do? Just throw up our hands? I'm glad you asked. Let's go back to the text, Philippians 1. I love Philippians. In fact, back in 2017, we did a verse-by-verse -verse study of Philippians, if you remember. Um, we called it um, Joyride because the book of Philippians is about joy. The theme is joy, which is kind of ironic because Paul is writing from prison. Now, we know from the book of Acts that he visited Philippi three times. Commentators say maybe four times. But his first trip to Philippi, he stayed three months. That's when he met Lydia and the ladies' Bible study out by the river and started a church in her house. And that's when they were um, thrown into prison and, and the, the jailer got saved. And that whole story, great story. But anyway, Paul is writing to these people that he loves, he's got relationship with. And here's the neat thing about this. Paul had seen a lot of these Gentile churches spring up in hostile Roman areas, and he knew how hard it was for them to follow Jesus. So right before he writes the section that we're reading, Paul writes to them and says, listen, I'm probably going to die. I'm in jail. I've been sentenced to death. I suspect they're coming for me at any moment, and that's great for me, but I'm kind of worried about you. So his last advice to them in verse 25 is, the most important thing is your growth and your joy in the faith. And then he says, verse 27, meanwhile. So in other words, until I come, whether I come or not, whether I die or not, he says, live in such a way that you're a credit to the message of Christ that nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear it from a distance. Stand unified, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for Him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through on which you're now getting an updated report in this letter. Okay, there's two instructions here I think we need to cling to. The first one is in verse 27, and it's don't flinch. What's he mean? When I first moved to Oklahoma from California, it didn't take me long to realize that you, did, you guys do some goofy stuff here in Oklahoma. First of all, it's the name of the towns. What is the, what the towns? We moved to Chickasha. So when I told my friends from California, where do you live? And I said, Chickasha. They said, what? It's right by Ninacaw. You've probably heard of Ninacaw. It's right down the road from Alec. It's spelled Alex, but it's pronounced Alec. What are these towns? And then the food? Chicken fried everything. I've heard of it, 
But I've never had chicken fried steak. I've, I've got, did I mention I've got an addiction problem? And okra? Thank you, Jesus. I don't know whoever thought of battering that up and frying that, but they're in heaven. That's a great idea. And the weather. Everybody from Oklahoma has stories about weather. It's like nothing I've ever seen in the whole world. But the best of all are the phrases. You guys have come up with some amazing phrases. Unique, in case you don't know, very unique to this area. Fixin'? I'm fixing to leave. I didn't understand. Finer than frog's hair. That's another good one. My favorite of all time is over. Hey, put that right over. <laughs> right? But here's the one I want you to think about with me. When I, I, I really learned this one when I worked in the old field, but I've used it for a lot of different occasions. When you're strapping down a load on a trailer, and you pull the strap tighter. In the oil field, we used to run a chain over a boomer. And you have to pull that, get that last link. When you finally get that last link, your buddy will say, okay, hold what you got. Oklahoma phrase. Paul would say, don't flinch. In Oklahoma, we say, hold what you got. Other translations in the Bible say, don't be frightened or intimidated. Be brave. Stand firm. Hold what you got. Now, I've learned so much in my capacity as a marketplace chaplain. Here is the biggest lesson by far. Everybody has an opinion, unchurched people have an opinion about us, the church. Frankly, most of them are very negative and they're very well-deserved. The truth is, it's been a hard thing for me to watch. In my lifetime, some of you old-timers like me, you've seen in our lifetime, the church has moved from a place that was the center of the community, honored and respected in the hearts and minds of people, to the punchline of late-night comedians. And we can't defend ourselves because have you seen the parade of disgraced pastors on the news? Now, this is my 27th consecutive year to stand in front of you in this series. We're going to celebrate our 28th anniversary in just a couple weeks. So I have stood before you 27 times to try to explain God's mission for our fellowship. And like I say, this has always been hope-filled and exciting for me, but I got to tell you, it feels like we're losing ground. I mean, look around, right? 63% of Americans describe themselves as Christians. That's down from 75% a decade ago. And of the 63% of Americans that call themselves Christians, less than half attend church with any kind of regularity. And in fact, U.S. church attendance has been decreasing big time over the last few years. For about 100 years, about 100 years, about half of all Americans went to church. Now it's about 20%. And about 60% of all Americans say they seldom or never attend church. Now you might say, well, Randy, this is a great time to panic. <laughs> no, because Paul says don't flinch. Why? Listen, God's still working. God's still at work. Liz, come here. Liz called me this week with this great story. Josh, which mic you want me to use? The white one? This one right here? Okay. And so I asked Liz just to tell this story. It's a great story. So 
uh, last November, I, in the midst of inflation, uh, through a lot of prayer, I left my job right before the holidays, um, which required a giant leap of faith. Um, but it was the right decision to make, and it's been tough throughout the holidays, um, and I've had a lot of down days, being hard on myself, thinking, what have I done? <laughs> you know, this is crazy. The prices are so high, and, you know, I've, I've just talked to God, and he said, you know what? He kept on saying, you know what? I got you. Things are going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. So, uh, you know, you can't just sit on your tail and say, oh, God said he's got me, you know. So I've applied for about 35 jobs, and it feels like a whole lot more than that. Um, but, you know, this last week, everyone went back to work, and here I am still sitting at home. And I went to the pharmacy to pick up um, Mark's prescriptions. And on one of the Christian radio stations, it had talked about how you can't look at other people's lives and focus on what they've got going on because then you miss out on seeing the great things that God has planned for you. And I thought, oh, that's so good. I'm going to do that. You know, I'm not going to focus on everyone else. I'm going to focus on the blessing God has for me. And so that cheered me up, and I got the prescription, and I went home in a great mood. And I thought, yeah, we're going to apply for a couple more jobs. And so I got that done and um, went to bed that night in a great mood and thanked God for everything he had done for me in my life. And I woke up that next morning to a TikTok video that my girlfriend had sent to me. And usually, you know, she sends me really funny things about puppy dogs or farm animals because she's got a little funny farm in Yukon, I like to call it. And um, she had sent me this video. And she's a believer, but we don't really talk about that a whole lot. And I open up the video, and it's this religious leader talking about the word Rapha. And it's talking about how you've got to be still and know that God has you. And if you're not still, then God can't take up his sword and his shield and fight your battles for you. And so I watched it a couple times, and I was like, wow, you know, she sent that to me right when I needed it. And um, I thought, that's so good. I'm going to do that. And I've talked to Pastor before about how hard it is just to be still and know that God is God and that he will fight your battles for you because he loves you. And throughout my entire life, I've always, like, my mantra has always been God's promises. You know, what are God's promises? He loves me. He's my protector. He's my provider. You know, that, that he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. That, you know, he's my God. And so I thought, wow, that's amazing. And I just happened to be going to lunch with And I told her, I love that video you sent me because it was just amazing. It filled me with such hope. And then I read the verse of the day to her. And I said the verse of the day was Jeremiah 29, 11. And it said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope for the future. And she said, that's really great and amazing, but I didn't send you that. I sent you a video of Matt Matthews with his chickens telling you that he named his chicken left eye because it didn't have a right eye. And I said, you're kidding. And she said, no, I never sent you that video of Rafa. And so God sent me that video of Rafa. And the next day, Mark and I are sitting watching a movie, and I got two emails telling me that 
two of the jobs had sent me on to refer to the hiring managers. And then on Friday, I got two uh, interviews for tomorrow. So I just wanted everyone to know that if you're struggling, be still and know that God is God. I know whenever we look at the Bible and we read the Bible, we see stories of how, you know, God's this ominous figure who will part the Red Sea or will talk through a burning bush or, you know, Jesus is this figure who will, you know, rub mud on the eyes of a blind man and will make him see and will perform all these miracles. But God is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. And even if he's talking to you through a silly TikTok, he is still working miracles. And will I get these jobs tomorrow? I don't know. I'm still the doofus that Mar that Pastor talks about is part of this church. But I know that God is going to put me exactly where he needs me and that he's going to provide for me. And so if you're struggling, you know, know that God's going to talk to you in some way. It may be through TikTok. It may not be through TikTok. Um, but he's still working for your good, and he's working through my good. So I love you guys, and I, I want you to know that God's with you no matter what. He's with me no matter what. And um, that's all. Thanks, Liz. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. Paul says in verse 27, live in such a way that you're a credit to the message of Christ. Verse 28, your courage and unity will show the opposition which you're up against. Right before we go on to the next point, we need to understand that the church in America has lived a charmed existence for ever since America has been America. So now today, what feels like persecution is actually normalization. Now what's coming in the days and months and years to come? I don't know. Here's what I do know. God is still at work. So we got to trust him, hold what you got. Don't flinch. And then the second thing we take from this passage is this command to grow, develop, mature, become what God intended you to be. Philippians 1.29 says there's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him, and the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. Let me show you something I saw. When we think of suffering, especially in a biblical context, we think of affliction and difficulty, and pain. But I'll look this word up in the Greek, and this doesn't matter to anybody but me and Jerry, but the normal word for suffering in the Greek is pathema, which means affliction. But the word here is posco, and it means to feel something or to be affected. So I'm going to do a little exercise here in Philippians 1.29. Instead of suffering, I want you to think, be affected, be molded, be changed, be adjusted. And then Philippians 1.29 would read this way. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also being changed for Him and His purposes. And the being changed, the being molded into something new, is as much a gift as the trusting. In other words, there's far more to this life than affecting or doing for Christ. There's also being affected by Christ. Now, next week, we're going to talk nuts and bolts, but, but I, want to, I, want to, I want us to understand some things we can specifically do. I'm closing with this. Todd, would you please come and help me? I'm going to leave you with a word of encouragement. It's, it's very clear to me that over the past few decades, 
a lot of the activities and programs and ministries and ideas of the church have been terribly misguided. Now, we meant well. Nobody meant to be misguided. But we thought that our fancy facilities and our elaborate services and our full buildings would please God. But God's intention was never for the church to be successful. God's intention has always been for the church to be reliant. God wants a church on earth that will be led by His Spirit. And yet we've been too busy making our own plans and going our own way. So now here we are on the brink of 2023 with society crumbling around us. Biblical prophecy literally being revealed before our very eyes. And when the church should be more poised and effective than we've ever been, we're actually less effective than we've ever been. So think about this with me. Listen. What if that's what God had in mind? Well, Randy, what are you talking about? This is harmful. This is detrimental. This is painful. This can't be part of God's plan. One phrase I saw in that passage that jumped on me was in verse 28 when Paul said, defeat for them, victory for you, and both, both because of God. Other translation says it this way. This too from God. This is God's doing defeat this is from God listen church God has never one time ever been taken by surprise he knows where we are and everything say everything everything we're seeing Satan's influence increasing the church's influence decreasing this once proud nation of ours in a shamble what if this is all from God because of God. Now don't be mistaken, the church is not about to die because Jesus said it would prevail against the gates of hell. And just like Liz said, the one who was once for us is still for us and he's greater than the one who's against us. The outcome has been decided. The end of the book has been written. Jesus wins. But before that happens, there's got to be a lot of destruction. What if God's in this? So for us, for Covenant Life Assembly, no matter what kind of suffering we face in the days to come, this too is from God, and He's good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would direct us in these interesting times. And Father, we... We desperately need to hear your voice like we never have before. So Lord, certainly over these next couple of weeks, would you please speak to us in a clarity like we've never known. And I pray that you would empower us to listen like we've never listened. Give us sensitive spirits. Give us open hearts, Father. I pray that you would capture us from our busyness. I pray that you would rescue us from this pace of life when, at least for this moment at the beginning of 2023, where we can hear you in a way like we've never had before because we need you. Jesus, we need you. I don't know what we face, 
in the days to come, but you do. You've never been surprised, not one time ever. So, Father, today we snuggle up to you and we lay our head on your chest so we can hear your voice and we just cry out to you that you would speak to us by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name.